It's the Jesus and Paula Show. Starring Jesus Christ and Paula Price. Tune in as we learn the mind of Christ and thoughts of God. Well, good evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to this week's broadcast of the Jesus and Paula Show. Can you believe it has been a week already? No, I cannot either. Um, But I tell you what, what a week it has been, a week in the world, a week in God. And so tune in, tell your friends, and you know our favorite thing, share, share. Did we say share? Because we meant share. And share, share, share. The wisdom that rolls out of this show is second to none. And that is no matter who meets Dr. Price, no matter who encounters her, they say the same thing. Last week, she talked about how holiness is means Satan free. I want to revisit that at the top of our show. But first, let me invite you to become a member of the Congregation of the Mighty, to join us. Now, you can join us on Sunday for a visit, pop on in virtually or in reality, or you can actually become a member. The information is up there on your screen to become a member with the Congregation of the Mighty. You can go online and fill in that membership form right from congregationofthemighty.com. Become a member. We have a lot of life in our church, do we not? lot of life. And people think that because we have a deep word that we're very dry. You know, if you have a deep word, then you must be boring or stale or just not loving or not family oriented because we teach and preach that God's agenda is primary does not mean that family doesn't matter. And we love families at the mighty children, grandparents, great grandparents, Millennials, midlifers, everybody. Did I miss somebody? Teenagers. We love them all. And they're all members, men. We love our men at the Congregation of the Mighty, our mighty men of valor that we have. And so we want to invite you to join us. Make it official. That's what the one flyer says. Make it official in joining the one with the QR code. Make it official with us at the Congregation of the Mighty. Become a member. You can see here uh, the dance ministry, the kids, the adults, lots of laughs. We have lots of laughs here at the Congregation of the Mighty. And you see our service times Wednesday at 6.30, Sunday school at 8 a.m., Sunday service at 10 a.m., all of that Central Standard Time if you're watching online. And I will say as well, if you are moving and you have moved here, one of the hardest things that people have to do is shift from whatever time zone they were in to now you're in Central. So there are people who are Eastern time zone and they're walking in the door for church at 11 o'clock confused because to them church always started at 11 or 12. And now it's 10 because you're here. Very fun uh, things happen when you shift and you do relocate. But let's talk about what it means. Holiness means Satan free. She talked about this last week. She kind of blew past it. As you know, with Dr. Price, she might just light up a statement and keep it moving. You're like, wait, what? What did you just say? What are we talking about here? And so holiness means to be Satan free. And, you know, we've made holiness about what? Rituals, routines, clothing alone. 
without the actual substance behind it. And then Sunday, did she hit on this on Sunday? How when you are really, was it Soul Sunday? Was it service? I don't know. We, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so it was the main service. We don't even know what the glory of God, the third heaven, the throne descended upon us in church. I mean, after the first praise song, we were right in worship. Seamless. And I was like, Ooh, okay. So we're already here. And we're just going to stay right here and see what the Lord does. And he did it. This is why you want to show up at church and not only watch online, especially if you're in Tulsa or the surrounding area, because the power of God that moves sometimes before and after the sermon does not come across online. How about this? Because we're not broadcasting it. There is no distance in prayer. That is true. You can send a word. That is true. But the actual being in the presence of God is something completely different. It's like, hey, for there are people who have not seen each other for two years through all this COVID drama, haven't been able to travel, FaceTiming every day or every week, but there is nothing like hugging the person you love. There is nothing like being in the same room or the same house with your family. We see that outside of church, do we not? So the same thing is true in the body of Christ. You can become so comfortable watching online and that's all right. I can catch it on the fly. And well, you know, I have three things going on, so I'm just going to watch and not realize how much you are robbing yourself of what God is doing in house. What's happening before or after the cameras go on or off. And Sunday was out of this world. And I think that is the best way because it was otherworldly. It was the Lord. <laughs> and, you know, he, and so he rolled in like a cloud. I felt like we were in the Old Testament, Prophet Angela, where this glory rolled in. You know, his presence moved in. He just, he rolled out and showed up and stood up in the room. And you know, when God stands up because everybody else falls out. We really wanted to be, God was there. We were shouting and we were jumping and, and everything. But when the Lord truly shows up, people fall out. In scripture, the presence of God was so strong on the prophets. They couldn't stand up. The angel had to come and sustain. Angel had to come and revive me and, and everything else. Because the presence of God will lay your heavy, sinful flesh to the floor. Sunday, we're in worship. God is moving. I'm leading worship, Apostle Sally passed the mic to her, Prophet Tamira. I mean, it was like the perfect in tandem combination of mantleship and anointings working together. This is why rivalry will destroy a work of God. It will just destroy it. Uh, envy and, and posturing and it has to be a one man show. You will ruin what God is doing when you make it about you. And in my first year of being taught to lead this team by Dr. Price, she said, always work with the strengths of your team. Always know what each person brings to the table. And when God is shifting in that direction to pass the mic in that direction, because the moment is about God getting what he wants. If you want it to be about you become a solo artist, go and sign your own contract, start your own team, do your own thing somewhere else. Because when you're on God's staff, it's about what he wants. And so we're flowing. Prophet Angela is out there 
in the seats. She comes in with somebody already in the, the flow of deliverance. I said, well, this is going to be an interesting Sunday. And she just bring them down to the front. And, and, you know, these are things when you're leading, you've got to stay focused. But you're like, huh, this is interesting. And you're looking around the room, people already laying over the pews, laying down, disappearing in the seats. Nobody's touching them but the hand of God. Nobody. And then I see Prophet Angela begin to move through the, the house. And she, wherever God is leading her to just lay hands on this person and pray for them and lay hands on that person. <laughs> and you see, I said, ooh, it's going to be thick up in here today and God is moving and we're going up. And at the time when we're usually winding down in worship, he starts ramping up a little bit more. I look on the stage. I look over at Prophet Tala because she's on the worship team and she's like, and then tears are running down her face. I say, okay, three, two, one. And then I look up not too long later and she's on the floor. I said, well, the chief prophet is out. And this, I said, well, we're not going anywhere for a while because we're looking like carnage all over the place. And God is moving. And when he is, I mean, really, really moving, you don't have to give commands. You don't have to bark orders. You don't have to do any of those things. And the Lord is doing it himself. So we're coming to the end of what should be. We're like past what is typically the end of worship. And by that now, Chief is back on her feet. And I said, go get Dr. Price. Because we're in a we're in a grip right now. You need to know you're in a sovereign grip of God when you shouldn't end what he's doing. And just like at the event, after everybody fell out that what Friday morning, and it was just a holy hush in the room. And we just let it be a holy hush. No music, no talking. We're just gonna let it be quiet. People are afraid to be quiet in the presence of God. And so I said, go get Dr. Price, because this is something is happening here. And this needs to be escalated to the chieftain level. You need to know when to escalate. Okay. We have escalated all the way up to Dr. Price in this worship service. Go get her. Because see, back in the day when we were not yet there as a worship team, every Sunday she would come in at the end of worship. Now we talk about 15. 18 years ago, she would come in at the end of worship and take it. So this is something that we grew up with her doing every Sunday. And, uh, and you know, thank God we grew, grew up and were able to reach a higher level in heaven. I said, but this is the general. Go get the general. I said, if she wants to wrap it up, let her wrap it up. But I think we need to. That's all you could say. There are no words. And so she came out and, well, finished the job which was keep it going as only she can. And boy, did we not got lay hand. And so we start moving through people laid out. The Lord told me what shoes to wear to church. I knew I was going to wear certain high heels. Don't wear those heels. Wear lower ones. I said, oh, Lord. That means that we're going to be jumping or climbing today. I was going to wear this real pretty skirt, dress, something. Don't wear that. Wear pants. I said, oh. Okay, and which is great because I was stepping over people like, excuse me, just don't move. <laughs> All right. Try not to slide on the prayer cloth. We ran out of prayer cloths. We had three people under one cloth. I said, oh, yeah, this is good. Just lay it over. <laughs> All of them. And let's just move a little closer to that person. Thank you. Okay, somebody have a jacket. Somebody have something extra. That The baby blankets. Let's go to the nursery and just start throwing things on people. 
And it's always interesting in those moments who is consistently absent and who is consistently present. You have people who will miss church weeks in a row, months in a row, but show up every time God moves. Never miss a move of God. Now they'll miss the word of God every other time but won't miss the move of God. And then you have people who are never there when God moves every single time. And I stood there thinking, you know, there are people who consistently miss the move of God. Something about their internal timing or the sabotage in their soul teaching on that on Wednesday nights or habits or patterns or things that the enemy consistently uses in their life to keep them out of the move of God. That's the week they're going to be out of town. Poof. That's the week they decide to go to somebody else's church. You haven't visited somebody else's church in three and a half years. And today's going to be the day that you decide to tell a coworker you're going to go to church with them and support them and what they're doing. And you need to always understand when, oh, consecration pack. Excellent. 5% off the consecration pack of how to guide, how a how-to to guide your powerful prayer in consecration. The code is Jesus and Paula. That's the, is that the promo of the weekend? That's the promo of the weekend. Look at that oil on that picture. The oil, yeah, it's Earl. 5% off. You want to do that to help yourself not miss a move of God. You, Because anybody can lay hands on you at any time. They can. In, in church, in Sunday school, in the parking lot, in the bathroom, at home, wherever. But when the Lord descends, numbers with Aaron, Miriam, and Moses, the Lord rolled out and called a meeting. Get over here. You're in trouble. He himself showed up. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send another prophet. He did it himself. Sunday, God did it himself. And so no matter where you attend, you need to make sure that you are there when God is there. Kadesh Barnea, Moses is like, the Lord is going to be here on this day. Well, we, we're not feeling it. That's how we would say today. We're not feeling it. I'm just, you know, a little ache and pain in my body, a little something. Sometimes Satan will flare up every affliction you have so that you miss what God is doing. A lot of times it's not a, a volitional rebellion. It's just a pattern and a cycle of you missing where God is. Don't be an apostle or a prophet or an apostle or prophet in training or an intercessor and never be where God is when he's there. That's a poor sign on your ship. Apostleship, prophetship, intercessorship. It's a poor reflection that you cannot see and hear when the presence of God is coming. And to tell you, there were members in the church who said to me, I just knew something was going to happen today. I said, oh, I need to get to church on Sunday. Some of these people were on call. They were in and out because the job was calling, talking about, but I can't miss it. You know, that phone did not ring while they were on the floor. Because everybody's boss was on the line. All of the creator had shown up. So everybody was just paused for a moment. You know, like in the movies and everybody freezes because somebody with some higher power that has the ability to stop time showed up. And they like that. And that's how it is with God. He can freeze all the rest of creation. Nobody's going to call you. Nobody's going to try and find you while he's doing. And then, okay, we resume. Ooh, look at that. And amen. You getting up and your eyes are still blurry. Makeup all in your face. Eyelashes and fell up on the floor. You're like, oh, excuse me. The job just called. Hello. <laughs> and you have to 
be all together, but make it your business to not miss the moves of God. Visitation. How long have we been talking about visitation, visitation, visitation? The Lord is going to abruptly show up, but is he? Creation knows he's coming. When your spirit is sensitive, you know he's coming. We know when we're practicing a worship set, it's actually not going to happen. The other week we were trying to get through something in our sound check. I said, guys, don't worry about it. You know what this means? We're not even going to sing it. Maybe we'll get through the first song. And then after that, we're shifting gears. The Lord is doing. No, we're ready. We come prepared, due diligence, the band practices, singers, whatever. But the Lord himself will determine where we go. Don't miss your visitation. If you are in a habit of blowing God off, blowing off his leaders, letting them know it's up to you and it's up to you and your feelings and and when you're going to show up and when you're going to do certain things and when you're not, then you are guaranteeing that every time he shows up, you won't be there. There are deposits that the presence of God himself can put on the inside of you that hands cannot transfer. We were more like the midwife moment. We're just going to assist in what God is doing. Just put your hand on somebody. Let's just push it all the way through. Let's do whatever. Lay it out. Some people were laid out on the flow until the final. Give God a praise. And we were like, just leave them there and go that way. Go around them while the Lord finishes what he is doing. Make it your business. I cannot emphasize this enough to be where God is going to be when he's going to be there. And don't hem up his leaders later when you miss it. Talking about, but can somebody just pray for me? No. No. Jesus did not pray for everybody who was sick. He did not cast devils out of everybody that was possessed. You understand that God moved on him with compassion. He was motivated by the spirit of the Lord. He did not do carte blanche laying on of hands and just radical. He didn't do like what we like to see, just throw his hand out there and everybody falls out. You notice we didn't see those. Those demonstrations are not documented. He never, when he, come on, what did he, what, some of the things that he did in mass, he fed the hungry people in mass because, well, they would have fallen out or died of starvation. That's what he did where everybody got fed food. With that, he did not say everybody who eats of these fishes and loaves is going to be healed today. He actually did not say everybody who eats of these fishes and loaves is going to be prosperous by tomorrow or next week. We have an evangelical doctrine that is erroneous in the promises that it gives in the name of God. He didn't say that. There were those he picked who were ready, who were not ready who were chosen, who were not chosen. There are people who will mess over their healing and deliverance. And you know what? God is like, why bother? You ever look at transplants, what it takes for somebody to receive an organ from someone else? You should study that. And then you might understand healing a little bit more. Just a recommendation. Transplant. You have to have the a, a um, compatible blood type, first of all. If your blood type doesn't match, there's nothing to talk about. Your lifestyle. You cannot be on drugs. You cannot be fresh into recovery. Uh, You can't smoke. There are so many things you cannot do in order to qualify to be on the list to receive a transplant that can save your life because you have to prove that you are going to be an impeccable custodian of this organ. You have to show that you are going to protect this 
whole procedure and that the reason they chose you over somebody else is not going to be in vain. Are you with me today? We've got to understand that God vets us before bestowing blessings, bestow a healing. Desperation is not enough. People are desperate every day for new organs. They're desperate every day for healing. They're desperate every day, every single day for what God has for their life. And guess what? Desperation does not equate to miracles. Desperation does not equate to breakthrough. Desperation does not equate to prosperity. We're missing a really big part of the stipulations and recommendations and qualifications for what God does. Do you want to be made whole? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. I went through this in one of my shows the other week. Go and sin no more. There was clearly something about that man's lifestyle, and Dr. Price is talking this, that led to the affliction that he had. And we really do paint people as victims to their circumstances and not contributors. Selah. You can contribute to your affliction. You can contribute to your setback. You can contribute to your hardship. And the Lord weighs that probably with the cycle and season and how many times we've been here and will we be here again to really determine how you get out of something if you get out of it. This is mature Christianity. This is as it's written in scripture. Miracles that we see, not just bestowed to everyone. So when she's talking about holiness, being Satan free, we have a job to do to see to it that we are freeing ourselves of satanic oppression, but really infiltration and hosting. Are you hosting Satan in your life? No, I wouldn't do that. I would never host Satan. Are you sure? Because there's a lot of things listed in scripture that are satanic, that have become cultural creature comforts, actually, in our life. We have a lot of creature comforts that are demonic. Creature comforts that are satanic, creature comforts, things that make us very comfortable in our life. In fact, the agenda now is to be comfortable. Be comfortable when you preach. Be comfortable when you minister. Be comfortable with the people. This year, Christmas is on a Sunday. Guess what we're going to be on Christmas Day? In the house of the Lord. New Year's Day is on a Sunday. Guess what we're going to be? In the house of the Lord. You have all these other days to be with your family. Christmas Eve, Thanksgiving, all these other days. And we want to take a day off. Let somebody tell me this is the day we is universally recognized as your birthday. And we're actually going to acknowledge everybody but you. Celebrating the birth of our Lord, not in church. You see how in the natural we would be so offended? We would be absolutely hurt if that's what happened to us in the natural. Happy birthday, Johnita. Yes, actually, we're not going to celebrate you at all. We're going to be with um, everybody but you on your national holiday. 
That's absolutely ridiculous. But that's what we brought it down to is a celebration of self. And anytime we can celebrate ourselves. And so we will be have church on Christmas Day at the Congregation of the Mighty. Don't ask to go on vacation if you're a minister. Don't ask to invite your family here. Why don't you come to Tulsa this year? Why don't you see how we do it here? Because when I was growing up in my church, none of the lead ministers were absent at Christmas. None. And there was a Christmas, they have a Christmas Eve service every single year, no matter what day of the week it falls on, annual Christmas Eve service. Guess where everybody is? At home, on their post, on their assignment. Family comes to visit them, or we'll catch you later. Are we really Satan free? Are we holy? Are we holy? Selah. Are we really holy? I mean, we can blow through all of these thoughts and all these statements. Yeah, of course I am because I love the Lord. Nobody said, do you love God? There are people who love. They say they love their spouse, yet they have a sad piece. I love my, my wife and my girlfriend. So what are we doing here? Holiness means Satan free. Most people, she said, do not believe that they have an entirely new life force on the inside of them as a result of the new birth. Woo! Let's think about these things. An entirely new life force as a result of the new birth. New birth, new life. But not just yours. My life is not my own. I mean, can we sing it? Some beautiful songs have been written. And we act everything to the contrary, don't we? But having the Lord on the inside of you. And now somebody's going to be in there. Because you had devils before. Cast them out. The Lord moves in. People say it. We see it in movies, films, and television. I'm fighting my demons. Well, you know, he just had those demons that he couldn't fight. Well, those demons just, and then when it's the Lord, all of a sudden we don't want it. Well, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to say I have the Holy Ghost on the inside of me. I don't know why not. I am. Tell the whole world. Go tell it on the mountain. We used to sing about this over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ is Lord. Did we not go tell it on the mountain? Every denomination had their rhythm, one and the three, the two and the four. You had how over there that Jesus Christ. Yes, yes. Go tell it. You tell it in your job. Tell it in the subway. How you doing? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And we've lost so much traction in the church first. You don't know how many services you can go on a Sunday in the name of Jesus is not mentioned. Scripture is not read. You guys, you have a lot of Bible in your church. <laughs> Should we have a different scripture? Should we have a different book? Should we do something else? Listen, we're going to be right back after these messages with our one and only host, Dr. Paula Price, bringing us. We're going to be in somebody's clinic today. Get somebody, get your Kleenex, get your coffee, your tea, your water, your gavel, and your slap cloth. And maybe your pillow. So when you fall out, you can catch your head. Johnita said, I got my slap cloth right here. Your Bible, your notebook. We'll be right back after this message. <laughs> Not these messages.
the life force. And if you say, well, what is God doing? What will be his future with us? Let me tell you this. I'm going back to the basics, the basics of salvation, the new birth. Now, we think that we've been basic because we think the sinner's prayer. So I'm excited about that. You know, for the last several, well, days especially, but I can go so far as the last several months, Lord has been talking to me about his biotic salvation. So pay attention. Stay with us because he has me breaking this thing down. And the reason he is doing so is because... The church has lost its way. So when you get snarled up in brick and mortar, print, text, theology, you lose identity. You also lose sight of purpose. So I will say to you that um, stay with us because God is digging into this biotic gospel. But today we are continuing our journey in Prophecy Clinic. And I have a few things that I want to share with you today. And then next week, I'm introducing you to something entirely, entirely new. And so um, I just want to say this because it's important and um, you need to get excited. So welcome to Dr. Price's Prophecy Clinic. Now think about it. Why do we need a clinic? Because prophecy happens through people. People who have lived lives. People who've been battered, pummeled, blundered, whatever, and they have been through. So prophecy actually comes through people. Most of the reasons why you're upset with prophecy today is because its foundation is flawed. Or I should say um, probably stilted, maybe a little bit, you know, shrunken. But because we told you prophecy is about prediction. That is what you believe. That is how you have been trained. And then we came up with all of these variations and variants for predicting the future. Prophecy is about prediction. Now, when you read scripture, you don't see that. I would suggest that those, some of you who were in my prophetic ed classes, Go back to those teachings. We're going to gather them up. They will be on my site, my Omni training site. You'll be able to go and get this foundation yourself. But let me tell you this. Prophecy did not, did not ever confine itself to prediction. And the first prophet, we don't have predicting anything. Right. Think about that. The first prophet that Jesus says he had, because, you know, double prophets came down the line. I know we think they came first. They didn't. And so the first prophet that the Lord Jesus Christ says that he had does not have prediction, did not predict. He constituted, which means that the core of the prophet's office, the prophet's spirit is constitutional and it is constitutional so that it establishes for the almighty institutions of the flesh, institution in the natural world. I don't know about you, but I think that's exciting. So if you look on your screen, unveiling the almighty's prophecy machine, and we, I have classified it as God's divine communications media. And those who 
he uses are divine communicators, divine communicants, or heaven's correspondents. Journalists, you pick it. But it's all about speaking. And because we think God produces things one way and not another, or only one way, word, we think that everything about the prophetic is about prediction. Now listen to me, because this is very important. We don't make that claim about sermons. You all listen to sermons every week if you are in God. If you're in Christ and you never once charge a pastor with a false sermon to the point that he or she loses their job, loses their income, or censored, or, or, or dismissed, or banished, or anything banned. We don't, you don't do that with sermons. And we've had more false sermons and more false teachings than we could ever lay claim to false prophecy. And up to recent times, you definitely didn't have any kind of competition. So a pastor can give you a false sermon and you will pay your tithes and you will do your offerings and you will pray for God to visit that pastor and to show the pastor the better way, the more excellent way. When it comes to profits, you have a whole other measurement. You start with a club, you go into cudgel, you got a yardstick that is the, that's abusive. You, as a matter of fact, you have, see, they, and you know, pastors have done this kind of turf covering. So you, you have gotten so good that it's okay if you offend a prophet. You can offend a prophet, you can abuse a prophet, you can bash a prophet, you can reject a prophet, and you are justified because it's the prophet. Now, you don't do that with your pastor. It takes you a long time to live your, leave your church. Your pastor can be in fornication, uh, adultery, can be in all manner of evil, all manner of uncleanness, can be in all kinds of duplicities, or just downright unlearned and untaught. And you know what? You celebrate them. Now, I need, to I need you to tell me the difference between a sermon and a prophecy. Or is that difference simply because you can blow a sermon off? But we don't talk about that. And we're going to do it now to be sure. And I want to know, to say, be fair, prophets, have may, may, they may have gotten a bad rap, but many of them have established a bad name. They've given the institution of God's uh, divine communications and eternal executions, a bad name, a bad reputation. I mean, look at what we got out there today. You got a bunch of kids who've come from no place, going nowhere by way of no one. I want to say that again. You come from what? No place going by way of no one. And you know what? You set, you put all your money out there on it, chasing them down, slinging money at them right and left. Why? Because you want to know tomorrow's answers today. That is my first foundation when I began to teach the prophetic. Do you remember that? You want to know tomorrow's answer today, but the prophets didn't exist to give you tomorrow's answers today at least not exclusively, they exist to give you God's mind every day. God's mind, his thoughts, his history, his destiny, his purposes, his experiences. And if all you're getting is prediction out of your prophet, you don't have a prophet. You have a prophesier. At best, a predictive gifter. You don't have a prophet because prophets did not start out predicting 
they didn't even start out prophesying. If you read the, the, the history of scripture and, and, and you go all the way back to the beginning, before there was a, a pagan prophet, before there was a Muslim prophet, before there was a, a, a any other kind of prophet, a diviner, before any of that, God established the office of the prophetic from heaven to earth. And it wasn't about just prophesying. Part of why you're upset, you're angry because when you lock yourself into a single function and a, a, a very restricted purpose, you tend to have to recycle and reinvent and eventually move into, go from reinvention to distortion of your original purpose and calling. So we're in distortion mode now. Because we started this thing with prediction. And, well, the archives are not staying open. They're opening and shutting. That is not the prophet's office. And I'm, I'm putting together an extraordinary class on the prophet's office. The prophet as an officer. I introduced that. In 1993, I laid claim to it because prior to that, you didn't hear prophets as officers. You heard them as gifters and giftings. And in many cases, you still hear them as gifters and giftings. I introduced the prophet's office because the office precedes the gift. Like your job preceded your arrival. There had to be a job for you to arrive or the makings of a job. So when you think about the prophetic and you think about what God is doing, God is finally cleaning it up. He's purging it. He's redefining it. He's institutionalizing it. He's constitutionalizing it. And guess what? Here's something to make you nervous. He's scientizing it. Because before we had all of those other things, all of this expression, we had disciplines. And so when we, as we go forward, you're going to appreciate this. By now, you should be really excited, even if you're mad. You know, mad's good. Mad is a, it's a motivator. Makes you think. Once you've acted out, then you have to think it out. All right? So mad's good. And you have to realize that. But prophets are the first ministry office in creation. That's a good thing. Isn't that good? Yes. What do you think, Apostle? You think that's good? Love it. How about you, Chief? No. I know. That's it. Her word. She's deep. That wasn't even predictive. You, you know. No. <laughs> now, I want you to write it down. Because all of these people who are telling you that prophets are no more and pastors are taking over, I want you to understand, just because we've had uprisings and seditions and insurrections from the pastoral people doesn't make them correct. The prophet, according to Luke chapter 11, 49 to 51, has the Lord Jesus Christ saying Abel was a prophet. That makes Abel the first prophet in the planet. Now we had, Adam had one prophecy. And well, it took him out. The serpent had a couple. He ended up eating dust for the rest of his days. 
but I want you to write this down. And you know why I'm pressing it? Because God is, when we ask God to intervene into something and we ask him for reparations and restoration, he goes back to the first foundation. So the first landmark, the first cornerstone was laid by a prophet. Now his brother was a paganist and he was a prophet. His brother was a naturist and he was a prophet. So when you think about, don't, don't and let me back this up. I want to say it a lot more uh, clearly. Don't tell me that I am under everyone else. The first was a prophet. The first ministry, the first ministry office, the first ministry gifting. But you know what? You didn't hear that. So how do you know? And some of you all are hearing it and you're going to go run off and use it because, you know, this this young y'all, you all are about, you know, Simon says, you know, monkey see, monkey do, you know, as I see it. Yeah. So and so me too, me too, me too, me too, me too, me too, me too. This is a me too era in humanity, unfortunately. Now, it's not the first time, but it's ours. So you'll run out here and say, well, I'm in the office. And if you ever say that to me, I'm going to ask you to define it. Because an office belongs to an institution. And the institution sets the rules, not the worker. You come in your job, the first thing they want to do is give you some training so you can stop being you and start being what they're paying for. The training, you won't be there long. And then they will take and interrupt your time and tell you you need some more training for the office that is to serve the institution. So your gift serves your, your individual, you as an individual, your being. It serves your will, your opportunities, your perception. Your office is not flexible. It's not fluctuating. That's why people are in jobs and you do one thing. You ever notice that on your job, you, whatever they hire you for, that's what you're going to do and try doing something else. Try doing something else. I just decided I wanted, but I had a dream. I had a vision. You have to first prove that you will protect and care for the office and then expedite its visions and purposes, objectives and goals. Once you prove that, then somebody's interested in your creativity, your innovations. That's how life works. See, so here we are. We started this thing on the gift in the late 1970s when it, when the prophetic was revived by the Holy Ghost. We started it on gift. And that's where we start. We started, we stopped where we started. We've not moved from gift. We've varied it. We've diversified it. We've corrupted it. We've repaired it. We've defined it. We've expanded and enlarged it. We shrunk it and confined it. We even punished it and battered it. But we're still on gift. That is not how the prophetic began. It began as an office. Which is why the psalmist can say God opens his mouth and utters things that have been held secret since the foundation of the world from the foundation of the world. You get to see what I'm saying is true. Just up those phrases. Foundation of the world. So if the prophetic, if the prophet 
is the first ministry office before they were called ministry, before they were threefold, fivefold, wholesome, nofold. The prophet is the first profession and career in the history of the planet. I want to sit there and lean down on that. Where's a bell when you need it, you know? Give me a bell. We're catching up, aren't we? Okay. <laughs> We're just catching up. Okay. Now, as you're sitting here tonight, I'm going to ask three of you to tell me what that means to you. I want a young PIT. I want a veteran prophet. Hallelujah. And I want an apostle. Just tell me what that means to you. Just, just that single disclosure. I won't call it a revelation because it's a disclosure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you go first, you'll go second, and Apostle Sally go last. I, the first thing is... Because you're a prophet in training. Correct. Okay. I'm a prophet in training. I would say the first thing that comes to mind is that, well, as you've taught before, that there was no church before, like in the beginning. Obviously, there was no church. So it tells me that the prophet's office is much more than church. Mm -hmm. It's much more. And then also with your uh, preliminary statements about the prophet being constitutional, that the, that means that there was an establishing, there's an establishing mantle on a prophet as well, and that they should be really working from what they are receiving from the Lord through the spirit. They should be working to establish those things, not just communicating them or saying them, but actually working towards establishing them. Excellent. 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 And that's from the up and coming. I like the up and coming. Okay. That means that everything uh, that exists. First of all, tell us how long have you been in the prophetic? Let's start with that. Uh, okay. I mean, I'll broadly. Say, yeah. Um, maybe, well, officially, uh, I would say probably about 14 years. And unofficially? Since a child. Thank you. I yeah. just wanted to get that out there. Because, <laughs> you know, you're born like Jeremiah was born. All right. Go for it. Yes, ma'am. All right. So that means that everything that exists came out of the job of the prophet and that the prophet essentially is like an incorporeal conductor um, that they literally draw from the immaterial realm and essentially from eternity, since we know that prophecy comes from eternity. Um, they draw from the immaterial incorporeal realm and they substantiate and constitute everything material, which gives us a list mm -hmm. of responsibilities, tasks, and duties that would go with that. Because if we just look at something natural, any product, if we take our phones, there was an entire process to bring that from an immaterial idea mm -hmm. to what we all use today. Every stage of that represents something that the prophets should generate out of their office. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, I'm, those 14 years paid off well for the Holy Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor yeah. Sally. Yes. yes. Now you've been in ministry how long? Been in ministry for about 35 years. And how long have you been involved or exposed to the prophetic? Uh, for the last 15 years. 15 years. Okay, yeah. so you got a little, little traction there, a little, oh, little yeah. road behind you. <laughs> well, to me, this all is saying that the prophet 
actually God had put already in that prophet before they were even put on the earth. He birthed them in their mom's womb. So they were actually already filled with everything that they needed to actually bring to the planet mm -hmm. because that was already in them. And it became life as they got experiences, as they began to study and learn and get more understanding. But they were that profession that God wanted to actually bring into the light of the world to let them know that in that office that they walk in, there is all kinds of strength and dimension and power that God wanted to bring to the planet. And they, God had to use that person first because we had in us packing all of the goodness, all of the accoutrements, all of what we needed to actually bring the career of what God wanted to bring into history. I agree with that 100%. Well, before I go on, I would, it would be nice if I could just, you know, give my co-host something to say. Hey. Something to say. I mean, we gave you like, you know, but still. <laughs> <laughs> this thrills me. My show yesterday was um, God Starts Everything with a Prophet. What did Abel start? Mm -hmm. So I'm super excited to hear you teach on this today. Amen. Ooh. Because the, the prophet, we don't think about these offices being genetic. In who are. we are. Mm -hmm. We can see it in a basketball player. We can say, oh, no, they're in the line of this. Or singers, the whinings. The family is genetic. I mean, you're mm -hmm. born into it. Oh, my goodness. How can you be in that family and not be able to sing? And But prophetically speaking, we really don't think that we are, prophets are DNA constructed mm -hmm. to be hardwired to the mainframe of eternity. Oh, I love it. To the mainframe. For the biotic mainframe. The biotic mainframe. The technology of the mainframe mm -hmm. and that they are technologically constructed mm -hmm. to be these beings in the earth realm, wrapped in flesh, which is why they can go in and out of the spirit realm, mm -hmm. tra translate it, transport it here, there and everywhere. Yeah. And, the, and they're sitting here having a conversation and God takes them. Mm -hmm. Now their flesh is still here. Mm -hmm. But they could be anywhere. And so to to see the intelligence of God. When you're teaching on this today to have at the beginning, these people, beings constructed to do these things for him throughout all time. Mm, all time. Technology is not a barrier for prophets. Mm -mm. Era is not a barrier for prophets. And they're able to move in and out of God's phases, times, seasons, dimensions, mm -hmm. and everything else. And not just talk about it, but be able to produce it. And producing it is the most powerful piece because as we go forward you realize that the prophet has got to have a a peculiar relationship and in creation creation must perform the prophet's words because if it doesn't then you're not a prophet so there it has to be this seamless fusion between the prophet spirit and creation's ear for it, which I shared a little bit in Hosea chapter 2 a couple of weeks ago. Now, in addition to that, if Abel is the first prophet and the first profession, you know, farming notwithstanding, because farming was for you to eat, but the office is for you to serve something larger, something build, uh, bigger, and something pre-existing. And so this tells us that the prophetic, that prophets, 
began in God's realm, as did everything else. When we think of Gabriel, Gabriel coming, he comes with prophecy. And he tells you what else he's doing. He said, I war. I came to bring you this prophecy. I switch out governments and nations and power. And I protect and more than just voice, I protect everything God Almighty. So we know that it began in God's world. We know that in Judges 2, it talks about the angel that took, I think it's Judges 2, maybe Judges 1, the angel that met God's people in Bokim, and they were, you know, crying, and this angel is rebuking them. Hmm. So all of this keeps God in control. Don't let anybody persuade you into thinking that God has this or that out of his control. God has beings that keep him in control, and they're all biotic or biologic. I use biotic more with the with the, the God side of things because it's life, life-giving, etc. I use biological because it's part of that human thing. You think about it, all of the classes that you had on the prophetic, have you heard anybody walk you through this? They taught you how to prophesy. They taught you how to predict. And so it became all manual. I would like to say technical, and maybe so with technique being involved, but everything was manual. Everything was physical and it's all human. So we have no way of proving that what somebody say God said to them is God if they're doing it out of their gifting, if they're doing it out of their own soul. And God wrote in Ezekiel chapters 13 and 14 that prophets can prophesy out of their heart and out of their soul and then spend endless wake, wake, awake life nights rather trying to get the word to come to pass. So yet they hope the word will come to pass. Jeremiah 23 is one of the most powerful training chapters of the prophetic. Most important. As a matter of fact, I tell everybody Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. Isaiah is something that, you know, every prophet's class ought to walk through meticulously. We know that the first profession, first office in creation is the prophet. Why? Because God starts everything with the prophet. And he does this because he starts everything with his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the, the what? The same was in the beginning with God. Uh, is that powerful? Yeah. So God starts everything with his word. Genesis affirms it by telling us that uh, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. So everything gets to start with his words. But words are spiritual, as Jesus tells us in John chapter 663. Jesus tells us the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So words are spirit. That, that That's on the God side and on the devil's side. Because we look in Revelation about the false prophet with the frogs come out of the mouth, which are unclean spirit. So he's prophesying the frog. Now, the frog is very interesting because the frog is very fertile. That means those words keep reproducing after their kind. So God starts, so the first thing is the first thing, the first office and the first minister in creation, the first profession is that of the prophet. According to Luke 11, 49 through 51, Abel was his creation's first prophet. Jesus said he's a prophet. So Jesus ought to know 
what it is. Now, because they may have marked down, they may have history records in their chronicles saying, well, you know, Abel was killed in the temple. I would I highly doubt it, but it could be because, you know, at that time, prophets were everything. But none of them talked about Abel being a prophet. So it had to take the God of the prophets and the God of prophecy to tell us how he used this vessel how he used this being. He used him as a prophet, except he doesn't tell us anymore unless, of course, they're hiding it. So, he uses Abel as a prophet in an era where the community is young, they're just outside of Eden, can't go back, they're in the world, it's barren, occupied with the animals, etc. So what does he do? As yet, we don't know a physical enemy. As yet, outside, they don't, we don't know what they do other than farm, take care of one another, marry, and uh, serve God. So what did he do? He settled civilization. Prophets are always going to be about settling. But you can't settle souls if you don't know souls. We'll get back to that shortly. So what else did he do? Because if he were a prophet today, he would be as despised as everyone who didn't grab a mic. Well, I mean, you can't say, and what could you say? So think about a couple of things. As you're watching this and when you're done, post to me. And I know you. those of you who want to post ugly, you understand that Dr. Price does really care. Like, I dump you. I don't have to let your words reverberate in my site and on my page. So, but if you have something intelligent to say, something, you know, needful and essential to say, let me know what you think. Because here's my, here's one of the things I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to write to me what type of skill set, talents, and aptitudes Abel had for Jesus to recall him as a prophet. And if his maker is recalling him as such, what must have been his caliber of service? I want you to write that to me. Answer me for that. Now, I know a handful of you will. Now, I'm going to tell you right now so you can understand. I have a university. I've written, I don't know, dozens and dozens of courses, curricular. I have an assessment, so I will be able to lay it against something. So don't write me your your typical evangelical ilk. Stretch your brain. Stretch your wisdom. Come out of the church and go back to work. And pull from that. Let your mind pull. I bet you we're going to see a consensus on what God calls a prophet and what has been nurtured and raised up as the institution thereof. So that, that's one of the things. So we've got that Jesus calls him a prophet. Now, what else is there to know about it? Well, let's talk about, go back to there were no churches. The church keeps teaching as if it was in the garden right. or that it's post-Edenic. And it's not. So why, do, what is it that made the prophet necessary? Well, the first thing is that Adam fusing with Satan or the serpent spirit both, 
he shut down his DNA got distorted and it, it, it built took on the same severance from God as the uh, as uh, the serpent did or, or Lucifer did when he turned on God. So now people can't hear God. God's no longer in them. He's around them. He's breathing life to them. But he's no longer in them. So now their minds and souls are darkened to their maker. And he now needs an intermediary. He now needs a spokesperson, a representative. This is what creates the need for the prophet. Now, now remember, I'm convinced that Abel was not standing, sitting there calling his duty, telling people what's going to happen tomorrow since the earth didn't have much. I mean, they, their job was to, pop, to populate the earth. Their job was to... to uh, ornament and stock the earth with its businesses, its its kingdom. But why would they prophesy about that if, if, if it didn't exist? I mean, why tell somebody they're going to have a job when the only job that we got right now is farming? That's not, I mean, that's like talk about, you know, obvious. So why would we do that? And so you would need to think about it because my job, our job is to get this generation for God's future. God's future is about the prophet because he starts everything with a prophet. We see that. That's there blatantly in scripture. You know, God will blind your eyes if he can't trust your judgment or if he can't trust your diligence. He will not let you see what's obvious. Now, the next thing we want to know, laying foundations, setting premises, the next thing we want to reinforce is that Jesus came to the planet as and to be a prophet, even though he's the author of prophecy. Now, he's the author of prophecy. Think about that. So who else can verify and corroborate with what they have been living and challenging, fighting and killing and trying to abolish since the foundation of the world, uh, who else could do it but the author? Many people can tell me what I wrote in my book, but I can tell you why I wrote it. I can give you all the backstory. I can tell you what was happening as I was going through the dictionary or what motivated me to write Constructing the Contemporary Prophet. I can tell you all of that because I'm the author. I can also tell you who got it right and who got it wrong. I can tell you all of the forces and spirits, et cetera, that showed up to me when I was writing it. They presented themselves to me. A reader can't tell you that. A reciter can't tell you that. So Jesus... It comes at the end of the time, meaning the last prophecy he will ever issue under that dispensation, under Moses' law, is himself showing up. He is the last prophecy. Wow. Now, I can also prove that from Daniel. You know I can prove it, right? Because in Daniel, when Daniel gets the prophecy, Gabriel's about to leave, and he's saying... And they, you could tell you that they had the wrong, wrong understanding of a prophet. I'm sure a lot of the Jews understand this because, well, 
is their heritage, you know? But I, if I go to Daniel with all my pages going where they're going, where my little thing? I got the thing here. Hallelujah. I like this little thing. I appreciate that. It stayed on my finger. That's all right. I got it put on my thumb. But I want you to go with me to Daniel, just if I can get there quick enough. But in Daniel, the end of it, Daniel chapter 12, Gabriel says, all right, I've given you all that the Most High has said, all the Almighty has to say. Uh, so now I'm leaving. I'm leaving. And so this is what I want you to do. He said, seal up. We read it in your translation as seal up the prophecies. That's not what it says. It says seal up the prophets. When you look it up, it says seal up the prophet until end time. That is where we get that that rest, that respite of, how do you say it, where prophets, um, they call it that 400-year gap. See, that's how we get that respite. Okay, because he said, he said, and this shall be for time. He goes all the way down and understood. We go on and he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up, sealed, um, sealed till the end of the time. Now, they, if you look up this and you look it up through Strong's, it says seal, in the King James Version, it says seal up the prophet. Why? Now God gets ready to bring everybody back online. And what does he do? He arouses the prophet again because God, because God starts everything with the prophet. So you want to get a whole lot of things off the ground in your life. And what do you do? You call intercessors. I'm going to get me a prayer team. You better get somebody. See how out of order we are? And then we, we want to blame God for being unresponsive and uncooperative. We, uh, I mean, in, this, in the 80s, uh, the 80s and 90s and early, everything was about an intercessor. But the intercessors have never produced anything. Intercessors are the warriors. They are the, the to me, they're the forgers. They will go ahead. But the prophet is how God does everything. You all are in Christian businesses. You wonder why they went down? Because you had intercessors. And most likely intercessors with no power were God. Clearly, if it didn't work. Now, I have an intercessory team, but I want you to understand the greatest intercessors in history were prophets. I wonder why. The greatest intercessors in history were prophets. You can read it in your Bible if you read your Bible. Because God, when he was talking to Je he was talking to Jeremiah, he was talking to Ezekiel. He said, if Daniel and and uh, and uh, Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, Samuel, if Daniel and Samuel, because he talks about the prophets that predate the law and the prophets that fulfill the law. So he said, even if they did that, my mind, Jeremiah 15, 1, my mind favorable to these people so you, you you understand you get by on the prophet's favor that's why you are letting these prophets dis, these disfavored dishonored and disgraceful prophets support you they're disfavored look at the planet just look at the i mean it's not hard to put it together if you shall know them by their fruits 
They're disfavored. You're not even looking for a prophet with covenant power with God. And how do you know that? Because Jeremiah tells you whether they have it. Moses tell you, God said, have you seen my servant Job? Have you seen my servant Moses? Have you seen my servant Samuel? Have you studied Deborah over there and her girl JL? Have you watched over what Miriam is doing? God tells you where he is, where his strength is, and you keep going for popularity and celebrityism. And then you wonder, well, I mean, I paid this prophet so-and-so thousand dollars a year. Well, they paid pay Balaam, Moab paid Balaam out of his national treasury. Didn't he pay Balaam? And he said, and Balaam was the top of the line. Before Moses, Balaam was the top of the line. So top that he shows up throughout scripture. Doesn't he? And yet every time he opened up his mouth, he had to bless. Because God is the God of the prophet. And Balaam told, the angel told him, the angel told him, an angel came to the planet and told him, now listen, God, because angels are God's microphone, sound system, and communications boxes, receptors, and transmitters. That's what angels are, because God doesn't have machines. We do. God's machines are beings. So the angel said, all right, go with them. Because I know what's not saying, I know you're going to go. Go with them. And when you go, you speak only what I tell you. He's like, man, I thought I was going to miss that paycheck. Whew, thank you, Jesus. I can collect my divinest fee from Moab, who's the king of the nation. And he goes and he times. He tries to earn his fee. And he can't. Because God has blessed. Now, this is powerful because Moab said to Balaam, because I know whoever you bless is blessed. That's another power of the office. And whoever you curse is cursed. So go, come curse these people for me. You understand these witches and whatnot, they are getting paid to curse you. But I'm going to tell you, I bind them for free. I bind them for free. I neutralize them for free. See, that's a business. You all are looking at it as just some sort of spiritual exercise or recreation. So he turns around and he, he cannot bless him. And then finally, Balaam gets something that's important to the up and coming prophet. Said, so thus says Balaam, Numbers 23, 20, I think 22 to 24. But he said, thus says Balaam, by the time we get to 24, whose eyes are open. So that means you can prophesy all your days and never have your eyes prophetically open. You can get power. His power came from the gods he served, who were the gods of the clients he got. So he, his clientele, were a combination of fallen angels and their offspring or chosen leaders he said thus says Balaam whose eyes are open he had never hear me because see people will start talking about well their words came to pass until God's prophets show up the real deal shows up their words will come to pass because there's nothing to impede their, their their commission or their release of the spirits that they are summoning to carry out their words 
This is powerful. This is prophecy clinic. See, I want you to understand this is clinical. This is clinical, and I need you to hear me. Because I, I took my time. They can sit there and talk about, I don't know about this or that. And I'm thinking, one thing I would like to do for these, these unenlightened critics, do your homework. Ask people what they did. Read their records. If you, but then people like that won't give anybody credence to anything. That, that's just not what they do. And so... He goes, and he goes, and he says, I love this. This is up there with Jeremiah 23. Here we are, Jeremiah 24. And he said, and then Balaam, and when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not as at other times to seek enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. Where was John the Baptist? In the wilderness. And he said, and Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel. Now you're going to see God's mind on your, on your prophecy. See, he said he saw Israel. Now I like this, abiding in his tents according to their tribes. And the spirit of God came upon him. That means that God's spirit was not on him when he was prophesying before, except when it was needful. So you can prophesy without the Holy Ghost. Pagans do it all the time. Diviners do it all the time. Psychics, clairvoyants. They have spiritual power, but it's not the power of the Almighty. Saul, when he did not obey God, lost the spirit of God and a vexing spirit came upon him. And his leadership from that moment on was under a vexing, hateful, fallen angel. So he said, and he, and he took up his parable. So we understand parables come with the prophetic. Now we understand visions come with the prophetic. We understand that, that um, actual, the spirit of God comes with his prophetic because the Holy Spirit is the prophet. I know we don't like to think about that, but that's where we are. He said, now listen to this. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, and the man whose eyes are, are open have said, so his prophetic, his spiritual eye may have been open, but his prophetic eye was not. Because prophecy and psychism are not the same. Prophecy comes from outside of this time and space, outside of heaven, from the very archives of God. Psychism comes from what they discern happening or being carried out by, these, by what's already in the planet. Now he's saying, he said, he has said, and his eyes who are open have said, what is he saying? Listen to this phrase. I, you know, I just, hey, Popo, shut. <coughs> Go ahead, thank you. We got a symphony going on here. <laughs> Listen, Balaam is exposing something about himself in this simple statement that you need to pay attention to. He's letting you know Balaam, the son, he's going back to his original self, the true Balaam, the Balaam that was born with the potential to be a prophet, the Balaam who is his father's son and not the successful diviner. 
he has said that word said that could just as easily easily mean disclose or reveal and he said he hath said which heard the words of god what look at this you can analyze this yourself and you can understand where these prophets are when they are all on the mic talking about speaking and saying he said but listen Balaam built his own career. He built his own ministry. He did not build anything for any God because he is a, he's a floating freelance messenger, cursor and blesser. That's what he is. I'm a cursor and I'm a blesser. He, ha, he, look, has, he has said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling but having his eyes open. In other words, they added trance, which means God froze him in time and gave him a movie clip, a video clip, which he spoke out loud. So you think you've been trained to be a prophet? You really do? You think you really understand this? You can't even see whether you hear from God or not. Balaam did not know that he was getting God's leftovers and refuse. He did not know he was trashing truth. And he didn't even have the wherewithal to care. So he so he was mixing God up with magic, enchantments, paganism. He was mi mixing God up with sorcery. He had to get high to get a word. He had to get high so he can go to sleep, so he can get a word. He needed hallucinogens. So you know all of these people telling you, God, you're, you got a prophet and you don't mind if they, they drink. You need to be scared. Because that's pharmacia, pharmacia sorcery. That means that they drop their judgments and their guards so that anything in the vicinity can drop a word on them. Yes. So this is Balaam. And we can look at Balaam. I've, I, I did a whole case. I'm gonna, I, I will do the Balaam case. And then he go. Then he says, once his eyes were open, once God opened his eyes, not his gift. God opened his eyes. Then he saw how to do something he never cared about before. And that is how to please God. He didn't care about that. He cared about the money. Pleasing God? Mm -mm. That wasn't it. When he found out that nations would pay him big bucks to curse their enemies and, then do, and his cursing them would seek secure their, their win and their success or victory in battle, he was called to do that. That was his job. That was his career. And he goes on to give you the whole thing. Now look at this. Verse 10, 24, 10. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. And he smote his hands together. And Balak said unto Balaam, I called thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times. See, what if our prophets were not so shabby? Would America be where she is? Would the lands, would the prophets in those lands be where they are? Because clearly there's some high power at work here. Clearly there's high covenant at work here. And he said, and Balaam said unto Balak, Spake I not 
also to thy messengers, which thou sent to me, saying, If Balak could give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of mine own mind. What the Lord saith, that will I speak. And now behold, I go unto my people. Come therefore, and I will advertise, or well, bless thee, what this people shall do to thy people in the latter days. He got the whole thing, not who's going to be president. He got the whole thing. So he said, now listen, advertises the word they use, but he's what he said to Ballard, hey, what I just told you is just the beginning. Now come on home with me. Come on and let me show you what they're going to do to you and how your kingdom is going to suffer under the hands of this people that God has blessed. Wow. He also is revealing something that's important. And that is, he knows that of all the other deities that he can mess with, he can't mess with this God. He said, no, no, I've got to do these commandments. See, I want to keep my job, keep my little diviner's fee coming in. I want to keep the nation seeking me to destroy their enemies. So I can only say what he said. This God won't let me play around. He won't let me mess over his word and his truth, which is why I never even knew him like I've just met him. Now, I have other examples like that. But I think you get the point when we think about the prophetic. So when you look on your screen, we can see God, the Alpha Omega symbol in the beginning, the prophetic axis, prophet and prophecy, Alpha. I love this. And I think it's so important. Uh, and then manifestation and embodiment um, is Omega. God is always speaking in time from his past time. So he speaks present tense from his past tense. That's now, you know, Dr. Press, I'm not really sure if I can go with, I mean, it's been good, but I'm not sure I can go with you on that. So what does he mean when he says the God who calls those things that be not as though they were, as though they were already done past tense. God is prophecy because it's from God's past tense. Does that speak to you all? Yep. You understand? So Omega is God's past tense. The, and so prophecy fulfilled, Omega is the big reveal. It's revealing that God spoke it and it's so. He said it and he brought it to pass. You, um, and when we think about prophecy, Clint, you, and I'm talking not just to the prophesiers or the prophets, I'm talking to their recipients. You have got to be able to discern your prophecy, to sift it. I got my book over here somewhere. Come on, get this book. You have to, and I write it. I'm going to put me a little bookcase right up here so I can have my handy, so I can sound dignified. My book, my most recent book, is Assessing Your Prophetic Self. It is on you to get learn the tips and to learn the strategies and the techniques for assessing your own prophecy. Instead, when they have prophetic meetings, you stay home. Why? You're the recipient. You're the audience. You're the target group. 
You need to be in every prophetic meeting you can get into to preserve yourself. That's like saying, I'm not going to drive at school, but I'm just going to drive my car. And then blame the city and blame the DMV for you being in an accident or you getting a ticket. This is you. You have to do this. You know, understand it. Um, just for y'all, you all who are going to buy the book, page 67, talk about prophecy's mission. It has a mission. You should know that instead of rejecting it. Because some of the things that you are rejecting, God has already released from his mouth to the earth. But since you won't show up to get it, it's bound up. Even if it's manifesting, it's bound up and held up by the unclean spirits and the false prophets who want their recipients to get it. You have got to fight for your word. You. My other one, God's, God's Divine Communications Media. You need to get this book. This is simple. Look, listen, for me, it's very thin. Look at that. See? You know, Dr. Price going to write one piece. All right. <laughs> but on the back cover, it says, how does prophecy work? Many infel infel I'm sorry, infiltrations color your view or reactions to the prophetic. Using modern techno technology analogies, Dr. Price helps you understand how prophecy works, why God uses prophecy to communicate, and how you can begin to dismantle the hidden defenses studying your, stunting your prophetic growth. And so here we talk about how to cultivate a prophetic mind, the origin of prophecy, where we are today. That would be good. Why people resist the prophetic. So who is this for? It's for all the ministers. But I want you to know, if you are a person interested in what God is doing in your life, especially now, can we say especially now? Yes. You probably need to get this book. Look, Prophecy, God's Divine Communications Media. It's probably going to be up in the screen in a minute. You need to go and get your copy and buy some for your friends. If you like having book clubs and, and book reviews, then you can do this. Get some and then sell them to your friends. Hallelujah. And you can sit around and talk about what prophecy is. Modern media's ancient motives. This is all very important. I just want you to hear this. Insight into the ancient messenger. And so um, select voices compel. This is important. I think this is really great. Select voices compel creation's obedience. The prophet spirit and prophets have a different spirit. They have a human spirit that is also overlaid uh, or fused with God's uh, revelatory spirit, God's voice. So prophet spirits, are, and they all have it. That's why you can uh, recognize a prophet. It doesn't make a difference what they look like. Three years old, 300 years old, young, old, black, white, male, female, uh, national, international. It doesn't matter. There is a, a set pattern and a set complex of perspectives, attributes, and faculties. See, because you call everything an anointing, you can't figure out a faculty. So all of the, and they're different with the prophet, and they're different from the prophet to the rest of the fivefold and the rest of the threefold. But the prophets are igniters and they're starters, they're catalysts. So look at the next one. So the prophets will bring you the mind of Christ and the thoughts of God. And I've learned something. When God is dealing, when, when we read scripture Christ, 
When we read that, we're reading the eternality of the Son of God, the before Emmanuel existence of Jesus. When we read Jesus Christ, we're talking about the Savior, Joshua, the, uh, or we're talking about the earth, Son of Man, his own incarnated self. So when we say mind of Christ, the, Christ did not get his mind when he became flesh. He brought that mind into this realm himself and had been distri distributing it or transmitting it for eons through his prophets from Abel all the way up to the last prophet of the Old Testament and the first prophet of the new, which is John the Baptist. Is this okay to learn? Do you all think? Hey, guys, write me. Let me know. What do you think about this? What does it do for you? Especially since the world is now trying to get rid of prophets altogether. Do you know when I was researching for constructing the contemporary prophet, when I was researching for that book, would you believe that my definitions, looking up the definition of a prophet was obsolete? I thought obsolete. Oh, no, I killed that. I was like, no, we're not. Mm -mm, no. We're never going to be obsolete because we predate you. In Revelation 19, it's a prophet that's talking to John. What prophet? An angel. The angel is a prophet because prophets began in God's realm. Oh, see, somebody help me. Thank you. Thank you. So when we move on to this, I'm, I'm, next week... <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to give you a new word, prophonomics. So we have the prophets, prophetology, the soul, prophetry, the mind, prophonomics, the substance. Now, where does that fit? That fits uh, when we say, believe the Lord your God. So will you be established? Believe his prophets, and so will you what? So there is an economy that is innate to the prophet's makeup. There is an economic element and, and literally economic deposits, wealth generating deposits in a prophet, which is why people because see, prophets are going to generate wealth. That's what they do. That mantle is going to generate wealth just like your 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 mind generates ideas that mantle is going to attract wealth because god has a problem his enemy wants to keep his enemy wants to continue to cheat his people out of their inheritance so the prophet's job is to see to it that they generate that wealth they generate that inheritance I tell my prophets when they tell me, you know what, the Lord told me to serve him and to quit my job and to and to serve him. And so he's not taking care of me. I said, you know why? Because you're a prophet. You go in your own vault. You get in your own vault. You get in your own uh, reservoir. You get in your own wealth stream because you should. How do we do that? You do it with ideas. But first of all, you do it with what I just talked about the covenant with creation. Creation has a mandate by God Almighty to heed every prophet's voice. Because creation has to produce its invisible self in material form. 
Now you see why they want to get rid of prophets? Because see, when God's prophets get together as one, we can shift this thing. We can actually shift where the wealth is to where it should be. We love talking about the wealth of the right. Wicked is sold up for the just, for the righteous. How are we going to get it there? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? The first thing you have to do is recognize who you are and then what's in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is not a slogan. You need to study glory and you'll understand what's in you. Because scripture says, because in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead and then all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The what, I'm, I'm lost. What makes the prophet work is what calls them to the office. Wisdom calls apostles and prophets. Wisdom justifies your state of existence. Wisdom is the defense. Wisdom is, what is it? What is wisdom? The principal thing. At least I feel good about that. Amen. They did get that right, Jesus. So if you are a prophet, wisdom for defeating the enemy, wisdom for winning and, and, and for taking over everything that God has is in you. It's in you in seed form. It may be in you dormantly. It may be in you, you know, just, just, just whatever, which is why you must pray always because prayer unleashes God's cells in your new creation. Your new creation moves it into your soul and your soul literally organicizes it in your body. See, I, as long as you say you can't, Satan says, I can't. As long as you say, I don't have, he will keep coming. He's going to, that's why you need the soul clinic because he wants to continue to keep you swallowed up in all of the negativity, all of the losses, all of the lack, all of that, because then he gets to change the emission of your spirit and your soul because your mind, your neurological self begins to take on his sentiments. And his sentiments is God is a dirty God. God is an unjust God. God didn't do you right. Good as you've been to him. I don't know how I'm supposed to make it. Instead of saying, I'm a prophet of the most high God. David had that thing. He knew it. Now, nobody says it's not going to be difficult, but then it's difficult. Being, listen, it's difficult being broke. It's difficult being rich. Guess what? I'm going to tell you right now, I'll forego broke. If I have to fight for something, I'm certainly not going to fight for my poverty. <laughs> Most of you, you fight for your po poverty, you, you fight. Your lack by your experiences, by your barriers, by your shortfalls, by your battles, by your losses. You have to understand that God works on 
particulates. Creation works on particulates. You want to understand particulates? Just think about the pixels in your pictures in your computer. You That thing has to be made pixel by pixel by pixel by pixel. Well, they didn't invent that. They have a machine to do what God does biologically. Your soul catalyzes what your body will metabolize. Once it's in your body, then your heart is encouraged. When you, you can understand that I put out a needed, uh, let me say, what, three days ago on, on Satan. I'm, uh, you're going to get my money. You're going to bring me my stuff because I am above you. You are my subject. I'm not subject to you. My Bible says in Luke chapter 10 that the devils are subject to us in the name of Jesus. Subject means subject. Brought under. Thrown under. They um, And here you got all of these Christians. Yeah, well, you know, you walking around. You must think you God. I'm his child. If you, if, are you your daddy's child? If your daddy is human, are you a dog? If your mama is human, are you a swine? The cell life that brought you into existence is the exact thing uh, as what you become. So don't tell me that. Is it not written in your law that I said you are gods, but you're going to die like humans? We're going to suffer like humans. It is not our, it's not God's job. Don't listen to these people. This is nothing but Satan and damage control. Even all of these, these old dog ministries talking about, well, we did it wrong. We got it wrong. Let me tell you something. People sin all the time. That does not do away with righteousness. People all the time, all the time, we make mistakes. All of us got it. Just because you did it wrong doesn't mean that do it right. So you're not going to impose your wrong on my right. I'm not doing that. And I do expect it. So then I gave the ed- edict on, uh, on one day. The next morning, I wake up and I, all of these words, you, you know, all of my reminders. This devil is digging in my soul. He's digging in my past for reminders. And so for about a good minute or so, I was sucking it up. And God said, you know, he's trying not to obey you. I was done. Hit that Liberty Bell. I was like, uh-uh. Hit that Liberty Bell. I, yes. He's trying not to obey me. So you're giving me all of these reminders of all that you did and all that you've wanted me so far so that I'll go back under you. You are subject to me. You're going to do what I said because that is the word of the Lord concerning you and concerning me. It is just as much God's word that he stays unsubject to us as it is for us to be in heavenly places. Same God, same word. I got up at 7.02 in the morning. I wasn't going to forget that. Got up. Yes, I did. With all power. I got up and did battle and reissued my edicts. For greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am above only and not things are mine. Behold, all things are mine. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Ha, ha, ha. The world. See, we were taught that he ruled the world. He does not. He can rule the world as long as you give it to him. When you decide it's over, it's over. He's got to go back in his nest. And I'm telling you, I don't care what they say. All we need is to join our voices on the fact that we are the head and not the tail. We're above only and not beneath. Devils are subject to us in the name of Jesus. We've got power to tread on serpents and scorpions. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
and this is a victory that overcomes the world, my faith, and I believe God. I'm like Paul. I believe God and that there will be a performance of the things told me by the Lord. So don't you know he came back this morning? Because he keeps coming back because he doesn't believe I'm free. That chapter of my life is closed. God is a good God. What did God say to Moses? What's in your hand? The stick, Moses. That thing stopped being the stick a long time ago. <laughs> I just need you to understand that you have not carried a stick for a long time. Heaven and earth must obey him. God's angels are supposed to minister to us. See, all of that stuff, let me tell you, they had it. That church had it. You know, when they when we had the faith, it was they had it. And Satan got mad, and this is what he said. He began to make them cheat on Jesus. See, when you step out, it's called adultery. And they cheated on him. And little by little, they bought into everything that he knows will take down a nation because it will destroy the people's soul. And it destroys their soul by fracturing their faith. I'm like, are you kidding me? The only thing that they had wrong is that they should have left it with the prophets because it's the prophets that's been keeping him. When God goes to war, he goes to war with his prophets and his apostles. That's who he goes to war with. Now, we, are, we can sit here and say, well, you know, that's what so-and-so did. They just went too, they just felt, came short. They stopped too soon. And see, with God, God is a finisher. He said, I'm a finisher. And that means he's going to finish the judgment before he overturns it with a blessing. He gonna, he's going to finish the blessing before he replaces it with a judgment. You have to understand, God has to go the distance. He has to do, he has to be Alpha and Omega. So why are we in this clinic? I think you can pretty much put it together because this is about us getting it right, getting the word of God right. And, and because, see, because they made this thing all about prophets, all about prophecy and futurism, they can invent a whole lot of imaginary things and Satan can throw imaginary things in their minds when they're quote-unquote meditating or trying to hear from God so it all comes down to stupid stuff stuff that cannot happen creation got the word first hmm. creation got the prophecy before you did creation got your name before you did you were elevated in the spirit before and you became elevated in the natural and you were done so by a prophet Zechariah 3 my favorite when I say favorite oh my gosh my favorite prophets assignment everybody study it because in Zechariah 3 God is ready to restore his people. This is correlating so much with my apocalyptic 2.5 million principalities of light. So I, I, I promise you I love this because he goes in Zechariah 3 and tells you how heaven elevates people before they show up on earth. I want to see where it is. 
not Zachariah. I'm gonna say, wait a minute, I know I know this. Hold on, I know I knew it. But I want you to see this, study it. Because it's, it's in chapter six that it manifests. But you have to see how God elevates. Our job is not to let them tell us who's gonna do this. If we are brought into God's secret chambers, we already know what God is doing and how he's done it. Now, he showed me Yeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The angel. We, here, we haven't even got to the Messiah. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. So he's in heaven, messing what God wants to do. We've already talked about him being at the Last Supper. He's at the cross. He's at the, because the, he is on his post. Where are you? He's on task. Where are you? Oh, right. You're running the mic, the mic talking about futurism. And the Lord said to Satan, because the angel of the Lord is likened to the Lord himself as he is in Revelation. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuked thee. O Satan, even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Okay, so God has had his downtime, all right? The 70 years are gone. Have been lands rested. You know, I'm not going to imagine the Holy Ghost. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a break from y'all. <laughs> okay. And he said, now, look at this. Now, Yeshua or Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Now, meanwhile, that just imagine him wearing a $25,000 suit and heaven calling it filth. Because of how it was made and the material it was made from. Um, make my point. And he answered, listen to this. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him saying, take the filthy garments from him. God's got to change out your soul. So Jesus comes later and talks about you can't put a new what? A new garment, a new patch in a... See, this, he's the prophet. He's the author of the prophets. He knows what he meant. And it's your job to figure out. He said from him and unto him, he said, Behold, I have caused your iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe you with the change of raiment. See, this here is how God elevates people. It's come, the time has come for his ministry. The time has come for him to begin to prepare God's people to, to be restored, to get back into their own land. And he said, but you can't do it with Satan's stuff. So y'all could talk about your little nasty way all day long. That didn't come from the Almighty. I will give you a change. If you can't change your outer garments, we know you won't change your inner garments. And your soul is the garment for your spirit. And your body is the garment for your soul. So you walking around here still looking like you're still in captivity, thinking God is going to bless you real good. He's not. God is going to let life go on because he's going to get his best out of you. But when he gets ready to make a move, he said, I'm changing garments. I'm changing clothes. So then he said, and, and no, then I, anybody know who I is in this? I is the prophet. I is Zechariah. He's in that coronation. 
He's in that inauguration or the coronation from heaven that will allow him to be incoronated on earth. The prophet said, I said, let them set a fair mitre, which is the priest's hat, upon his head. So they said, now listen, so he's standing there. There's the angel of the Lord. There's the Lord himself just encasing it all. And there's the prophet. And the prophet is participating in this person's coronation. Why is, is Zechariah seeing this? Because he's got to make it so. Because he's got to affirm it. Because he has to back it. And we find out how serious that is when we read Haggai and he's helping Zechariah rebuild. He's helping the people regain their land. He knows he's called to it because he's been through this. And so they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. So this angel is the full embodiment of that project. All of its communications, all of its, its, its correspondence from the Almighty, this angel can carry it out. And he says the angel of the Lord. Now, we all have different debates about that. I don't just like I don't know what to tell you, because the angel of the Lord is the same one that God sent to bring Israel into the promised land. He said, I will send my angel before you. And he had to use, do it through an angel because he said, because y'all make me so mad, I'm going to kill you. And folk going to think I killed you because I couldn't pull it off. He, this is the same angel. So the angel is the one that started it in the first place in Exodus 32. Same angel. So the angel is the one that started it. Not any angel. It didn't say an angel. It said the as if this angel is an established part of this drama or this event because the angel has been doing it all along. Everybody got a rest. Heaven got a rest. The angels got a rest. <laughs> they all needed a rest because Israel was working God's nerves. And then, now listen, you never rise without admonishment. So I always ask people, what was your admonishment? Everybody that God uses greatly has an admonishment. And protested Joshua saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, if thou will walk in my A, ways, if thou will keep my charge, B, that means do it the way I gave it to you, then thou shalt also judge my house and shall also keep my courts. And I will give thee, listen to this, this is so powerful. And I will give you places to what among these that stand by or stand here, which means he is now an extended. He was before 100% on earth. God is now extending him from his own presence and from his own palace to the earth. Samuel said, I stand before God. Gabriel said, I stand before God. He said to Moses, he said, you, these people haven't been elevated. Now, why am I teaching you this? So that you can critique them. So that you can ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. 
because this is how God does it. And he says, about, and so where, stand by, where are you standing? They're all standing in heaven. He said, but I'm going to give you a place to walk. That's patrol. Move around, move about. With Job, the Lord said to Job, where you come from? He said, I come from walking to and fro throughout the earth. Now, hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee. Wonder that, for behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. So he's bringing, he's reviving the institution that he's going to bring Jesus through. So he comes through David. Now, people have a problem saying that when I say that Jesus came as a prophet, but then we say he came as the son of David. Well, what was David? David was a prophet. Talk about running in lines. He said, for behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I shall engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. God does nothing before he tells his prophets because they, how else are they going to say yea, nay? How else are they going to call the truth the truth and a lie a lie? They have to hear. They have to be brought into visions. And we have downplayed that. And we've made it so, you know, Satan has made it a mockery. So that those who really have it are mocked. Well, see, you, you mock because you're out there playing with the kids. You're playing with the wannabes, shouldabes, want, and couldn't be. Oh. I don't have to sit in circles swapping visions. Because I'm an executive. I'm an actionizer. That is my job. I don't have to sit in circles. I don't have to sit there. My prophets don't hop up and scream and shout all over the mic just to say something. Not if they want to stay a prophet. Now you can go elsewhere. I have, you know, I've had them go elsewhere. But you know what? My words stand on their life because I'm a high official. And I know that. See, I know that. <clears throat> That's what he's saying. He made him the starter of the restoration of his land. The time is over. 70 years have passed. Time for the people to get ready. So his job is to get the people ready for God's next move or God's future. Prophets are always to get you ready for God's future, not just tell you about it. Uh, so let's close on this slide because this is important. I'm going to start on the Isaiah scripture. Isaiah 11, 4, 11, 1 through 5, because he's saying he's going to bring this branch out. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall bear fruit from his roots. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. This is the prophet. The spirit of A, wisdom. Did you notice wisdom is first? Because wisdom said the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. Okay? The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and power. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord, not the arrogance, not the disdain. These people don't fear God. That's why they don't mind lying in his name. He won't judge by, listen to this, he won't judge by what he sees, what his eyes sees, nor decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, 
He will judge the needy and decide the equity for earth's poor. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the wicked shall be killed with the breath of his lips. Righteousness will be the sash around his loins and faithfulness the belt around his waist. Giving you God's heart for the prophet. God's goals, his objectives for the prophet. So God is about to move, so he keeps me working with the prophets because he starts everything with the prophet. Jesus comes to the planet and, and he has nearly half of the 12 under John the Baptist, a prophet. And he pulls them from under John and to make them apostles. We don't, we don't care about the pop, the popular thought doesn't care about how God does what he does, how he gets done what he gets done. But those of us who are part of the, re, the restitution, the reinstitution, we must know how God is doing it. Just like when a company hires you to set up a new office or a new department or a new subsidiary. The church is eternity subsidiary. The ecclesia. And God has assigned it to the elect. Now, the prophecy clinic, the case of the deformed or misinformed mind. This all started with this slide. It started with, and it started with the question, should the testifier, storyteller, reporter, or talebearer's state of mind matter? Does it matter the mental state of the prophet and the prophesier, is that important to the prophecy? Or is it what we like to hear inconsequential? Because God is speaking by his spirit and they're speaking out of their spirit or their heart. Mm. Isn't it Jesus who said the heart is desperately wicked who can know it? Can he talk to the people about calling them prophets of their own heart? Do you, the recipient, know whether or not a prophecy is from the prophet's own heart. You could know if you understood that person well enough to know their tendencies and inclinations. You would know if you paid attention to God's word and you took the time to know it enough to recognize God's thoughts when they're vocalized, when they're voiced. And so here, should the following been taken into consideration? Deluded testimony assessment. Should you find out if this person is deluded? Well, if you got a gay prophet, you know they're deluded. I will send them strong delusion that they may believe the lie. That's a gay prophet. If you can believe that something that all the world can see is a lie, then I can't believe that a piece of truth can come out of you. I just can't. Now, they might. You may be able to give me some rich facts, but I don't believe truth comes out of you. Should naive, inexperienced, and underexposed people uh, criticism matter? So should people write us on Facebook who give God 30 seconds a month, who can only read six passages of scripture, who have probably never read a whole chapter in the Bible because they're too busy reading everybody else's books about it? And should they be given the respect of a scholar, of a learned one? But if they are doing it without all of that, 
support without all of that instrumentality, then we have to recognize that they are deceived, but they're also speaking out of their heart. Their heart only can only hold their experiences. Errant reports, misguided motives, and impulsive blurbs. These are all indicators of minds and troubled souls. So here's question two. How much weight should the mental state factor into divine communications? Here's your question. So should it matter that people are emotionally off? You know, you can see eyes. Those eyes are like gone. Some of them are crossed. Some of them are, are tilted the wrong way. And some, some of them have a blank stare. No enlightenment whatsoever. And you're going to tell me? Prophetic education should include prophetology. Some sort of soul study. Soulology has got to feature since the prophet's job is to discern true from false right from wrong, God from devils. That's your job. And see, Satan is really good at sounding like God. And people who don't know God or have not his spirit can't tell you that that isn't God. It's, they can make it say, they give a yarn that sounds so great. And if you've gone to college and you've taken psychology courses, you are very susceptible to those seductions. So you have to take those courses and lay them against the religions of the people who spoke them or wrote them. You have to know what people worship. I don't care what they say, because everyone walks in the name of their God. According to the prophet Jeremiah, can you give God like a little bit of a blessing right now? We are going to get into this as time goes on. It's important that we understand it. We have to word it out for the prophets. And if you can't word it out, then you can't think it through. If you can't think, because if you don't know what to call it, then it's a puzzle. It's an enigma. It's curiosity. It's confusion. It's perplexity. When you can word it and relate that word to what you have observed, then you're talking about being able to set up a system of disciplines to, well, I won't use the word nomenclature it, to be able to name it. We don't do that. That's why I wrote the dictionary, because I needed to give us terminology. Without terminology, we, don't, we won't make it. It stays swirling in our heart and we can't really pass it on. And, if the, and here's what the problem is. You won't have consistency. You won't have continuity. You won't have constancy. It will be different every time you say it. People are so proud of themselves. Yeah, every time I teach this, the Lord gives me more. Uh-huh. Then write a second book. So I thank you for joining me tonight. <laughs> Or your first book. <laughs> I thank you for joining me tonight. It's been fun. I've had a blast. Now, remember the things that I ask you to do. Answer yourself these questions. And then ask yourself, how prepared, how equipped am I to vet the prophecies that have come into my life and the prophets that spoke them? So do I have my own personal 
prophecy defense system beyond avoidance. Ask yourself, is avoidance your only defense system? Is that my only defense tactic? I'm, I'm just going to avoid it all so God can't talk? Or is your, is your defense trusting your own mind and your own thoughts that can't figure out dinner? Basic stuff. Have struggle over what you're going to wear to work. They can't understand how to pay all your bills and how. So that same mind, you're trusting with it. But you wouldn't do that with a doctor, an attorney. You wouldn't do that with a health practitioner. You won't even do it with your little yoga instruction. You give them credit for being expert. And they and they their job is to take you from Jesus Christ. Their job is to upstage Jesus in you. That's their job, whether they know it or not. That is why they exist. And yet, when it comes to God's prophets, all of a sudden, you've got all angst and you've got all of this fear and all of this disbelief. When they represent the God that made you and the only one that can turn your life around and the only one that can give you, can fact-base your soul. So, if, I, if this has been a blessing, I'm going to ask you to sow a seed. And I'm going to ask you to dig deep to sow a seed. Because we need to get this out here. Because God's future is coming whether we're ready or not. It's up to you to decide whether it happens to you or through you. But it's going to happen. And you want to be on the God side. Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me, is what Moses said. Because at that time, God was moving for judgment. And there's no way in the world for any of us to sit in this planet living with all that we are enduring and not recognize that God is judging. Where are you going to be on his judgment? Where you want to get trained. So I want to ask you to sow a seed, but I also want to invite you to go to my site and take some courses so that you can equip yourself to survive the hand of the Lord and the future that's put upon him that he must in turn impose on us. I think it's on the screen where you can sow and you should sow. If you believed and you think what I've given you spiritually is worthwhile and that it will bear fruit in your life, because that's what it means, then I need to get the first material harvest. See, when you sow seeds to a prophet or a messenger of God, after they have blessed you spiritually, you're giving them their first fruits. So if you believe that that's what happened, make sure you sow a seed. Otherwise, we're going to invite you to go to, is it on the site, the courses? Omni? Okay, to take one of my Omni courses because it's important that you are able to understand your God, but also to grow for the next thing. This is not saying what has been done by God was wrong. This is saying it's time to go up a little higher. It's time to promote, time to graduate. So if that's the case, go and take some courses. They're there. I'm going to talk to you throughout the week periodically about different courses and what they do. Until next time, join us at the embassy, home of the Congregation of the Mighty, where God stands. We have Sunday school at 8 a.m. in the morning, and you get some different classes to go through. And we have a service at 10 a.m. And they have been heating up. So you definitely want to be there in the flesh. It's nice that your eyeballs get it. But it's better when your whole being can. God bless you. Think differently so you can live powerfully.
Dr. Price should be on television because her wisdom is universal. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you agree or you don't, there is wisdom and eternal truths in everything she says. She's intelligent and not just emotionally reactionary. And so if she's going to, let's just say, have a rebuttal against something, she has done her homework. And so it's not just shooting off emotionally and this is just what I believe and just, you know, unbridled passion all over the place. She should be on television because the world needs her, not just the body of Christ. There are answers that she has taken the time, which a lot of people don't want to do, and paid the price and the sacrifice like people in scripture and it's time for the world and the world is ready to hear that information. Oh, she's real. Dr. Price is real. That's the appeal. We just had a whole bunch of people in church on Sunday and the overriding comment was, but she's just so honest, but it's just so truthful. And it's not just honesty to shock people and do whatever. She's honest about the Lord, honest about the word, honest about us sitting in the seats and herself also sitting in their seats. And, and that's, that's huge. You, you don't even realize you don't hear the truth a lot until you hear it. And you're like, that's it right there. <laughs> I want you to do me a favor. I want you to visit www.takingiton.com. Taking It On is not just about a television show. It is about getting around tables, having discussions, making connections, shaking hands, opening doors, and you might be the solution or the open door to what God has told Dr. Paula Price. And so as we continue to take it on, we want to take it on with you. Partner with us at www.takingiton.com.